There we go. Well, welcome, everybody. We are continuing with the Psalms. I told the first service, I, I love the Psalms. I've been reading a Psalm a day for 50 years, and I just cannot get enough of them. It's like, uh, we're going to have to end this. And I told Ben, I said, oh, I'm going to be sad when it's all over, because uh, we're just picking a few. What we're hoping to do is to just whet your appetite so that you will see that the Psalms are relevant today. They're relevant in your everyday life. I, whatever I read, I find that day something from that Psalm comes alive in my life. And so we're trying to, to encourage you to look into them. I know Ben and Nick have both uh, mentioned this, and it's nothing for me to repeat it, that whenever you read the Old Testament, whether it be any of the Old Torah or the Psalms or the Proverbs or any of the, uh, the prophets, you now cannot read those accurately without reading them through the eyes of the New Covenant and through the, the life of Jesus Christ. They were written about Jesus. They were to be fulfilled when he came. Uh, Jesus said, I didn't abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. And so we'll see that as you begin to look at these things, when something's difficult, make sure you're not looking at it just through the eyes of that time because you'll, you'll be confused. And if you're not confused, you'll be like I did. I, I think sometimes I read those and I kind of thought, oh, wow, this is a lot more list for me to have to try to keep. And, uh, and that's not the purpose of it at all. It, uh, they're extraordinary. They're beautiful. Today, uh, I got to pick a psalm that has been very special to me. It's Psalm 16. If you have your Bibles, you may want to turn to it, or you can, or you can flip on your device and turn to it. And uh, we're going to look at Psalm 16. I'm using the New American Standard Version. That doesn't uh, mean you have to flip to that. If you, if you have it, great. Uh, we'll be moving that way. And, uh, and, and I feel that the song that... Uh, that God put on Tom's heart, nothing is better than you, Jesus. Uh, I, I just kind of pause when I hear that. I, I cannot believe the beauty in that statement. And so many different things from verses and psalms and so many different uh, words that are sung up here or that you read, uh, the, the shame of it all is that we move so fast beyond it to get now the next verse. And and to me, I cannot, I don't know about you, but when I go to bed at night, there's occasional times, probably three or four times a week, I put on scripture at night. I just listen to some scripture. I cannot put on psalms at night because they're little nuggets that are like something you have to meditate on and hold in your heart. And by the time I'm starting to, they're already on two or three nuggets down the road. And I, so it's uncomfortable. It keeps me awake. I don't mind turning on, you know, sometimes the stories that you, you get to see and you get to see the character of Jesus as he goes. But this psalm is an incredible psalm. This psalm uh, covers an awful lot in it. It has, it has bookends from the beginning to the end. And in between there is just a lot of life and all of life that you're going to come into contact with. And then right in the center of this, right in the center of Psalm 16... Uh, you're going to see something that is quite amazing. Matter of fact, I had read it numerous times. I'd spoken on it. I actually spoke on it here, I think, one time. But until I really saw something, there was like a little keyhole, uh, a window that I got to look into in Psalm 16. And you'll see as we look later on, what, what was that mystery? What was that thing in Psalm 16 that pointed out the how to do this? 
Because a lot of times you read things, you hear things, and if you uh, have, have uh, the life of Christ in you, something in you resonates to want to live right. Something in you desires to do that which is good and that which is right. And yet sometimes the willing is there, but the acting is not. It seems to be delayed, or why in the world can I not do this? And this psalm uh, opens up that window. It opened up, up that, uh, that little gate of mystery, and I think you'll find it exciting. Uh, to me, it was uh, extraordinary, at least, of what it did. And uh, I'm on a journey that I've been on for now 51 years of being a believer. I'm on a journey that seems to be totally different than it was 10 years into my Christian walk. When I became a Christian, I was blown away by the, the message. I was blown away by the, that I could actually know the living God. He could come uh, to me, and I could begin to see and, and to know him, the process of knowing him in a, in a personal way. And to me, it was just mind-boggling that the whole world wasn't talking about this. Uh, I was 16 years old, and I just remember thinking, why aren't people screaming this out? And because I had been to church uh, my whole life, and I did not know that there was a personal relationship that could be had. So it, it boggled me. So because it bothered me so much, I decided I would be the spokesman. So I began to tell everybody that I walked by about this God. It wasn't received that well. Uh, number one is the message was pretty distorted. Uh, the message was not very clear. And uh, I think the only thing that came across is, well, he's excited about it anyway. And, uh, and that's what my wife said about my preaching. I, I listened to Nick and Ben, and I think, wow, how do they do it? And I uh, said, I think I should just step off of here. And she says, no, you need to stay there. You actually believe this stuff. <laughs> That doesn't mean that Nick and Ben don't believe it, too. But, uh, so that covers a lot, a lot of uh, mistakes up here. Uh, we're going to look at Psalm 16, and I'm going to kind of walk you through it. I'll try to walk through it fairly quickly in terms of some of the verses, but then I want to go ahead and take some of these and kind of build them how you can look at this. Psalm 16 says, Preserve me, O God. The word preserve means hold me, save me, deliver me, uh, keep me, preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. And the refuge is a place you run, you hide, you, you run into because it's comfortable, because it's somehow safe. Safe is huge in your life. Being around people that are safe is huge in your life. Uh, early on, uh, when, after we did kind of ministering at uh, where I work, about 20-some years later, I get letters and notes <clears throat> from people that thank me for somehow what the impact that God used me to have in their life. And I'm, I'm getting ready for the big, you know, thing that they're going to tell me, this unbelievable nugget that I delivered. And uh, none of them say that. They don't say, well, when you opened up the scriptures and, and let me begin to understand, they don't say that. All the letters have in it something that, thank you, thank you, because I felt safe with you. I could be myself and open up. And I said, that's it? Wasn't anything really profound? And I found out that later on that was what it was profound. And if you can go ahead and find that, preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you because you are safe. I can unload everything to you. 
You don't look at me and roll your eyes and say, oh, I chose you, but I, well, I must have been cr you know, crazy that night or something. No, that somehow I'm safe with you. And it goes on and says, I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good besides you. No good besides you. We sing two songs that the wording was perfect for. There is none better than you. That word good is used differently in the, in the scriptures. This word is an interesting word. It's not talking about the good as in the goodness, what is right and what is, uh, what is uh, true. It's a goodness that says what is beautiful to your soul, what is pleasurable to your heart, what brings full joy that overflows, what makes you happy. It's what everybody is longing for. I don't know anybody that's not longing for that which is good and full and pleasurable and, and my joy overflows. It's built into your heart that we long for that. It's a desire placed in you. And it says, I have no good besides you. And in Psalms uh, 62, it says, God only is my rock. He alone is my for fortress. I will turn to God for he alone is what brings joy to my heart. Over and over and over in the rest of the Psalms, he is very, very clear to point out that he alone does this. He alone is that satisfaction. And you're probably saying, well, okay, that's pretty generic. We all know God's what our good is. But is it real in our lives? Is it in your heart that you long for, you pant for, you breathe for? Is it the very breath? Is it that God, you found that he is good and there's none beside him? David came to that when in Psalm 73 when he says, I looked at these, the living, I like the living version of the first part. He says, I looked at these fat cats and they were all getting rich and they were all had plenty and all their abundance was overflowing and yet they deny you all the time. I look at their children and they have passed it on and their children are rich and I, I was envious of them and I almost became like an animal and lost my sense until I came to the conclusion of what you have shown me. In the morning when I awake, I see your face. For whom have I in heaven but you and beside you? There's no one on earth but you that satisfies my soul. I long for you and you alone. David realized that. He came to the realization of that. And then David writes this psalm. And I have to take into thought that this psalm, as it begins, that he's telling some of the experiences that God is, is revealing, is that, whom have I in heaven besides you? And then here he goes, that I said to the Lord, you are my Lord, I have no good besides you. You alone are my good. And then he goes into something interesting. He says, and as for the saints that are in the world, they are the majestic ones in whom is all of my delight. That word delight is also attached to this good. My, my internal joy of, of enjoying life here is because the saints, those are those that have come to faith, somehow life is not full without them. I have my good with God alone so that that good can make me overflow like a river so that somehow I can experience the fullness of that by participating with other people. My wife says, you know, there's, there's one thing about you I have realized being married to you is nothing is complete without you sharing it. You've got to share it with somebody. And she says, a good example would be when we go, to, you know, 
snorkeling or scuba diving, and snorkeling especially, because we'll go out there and I will look under and see this aquarium that God has made, and I am blown away by the beauty of it, or maybe something unique is there that day. Maybe, uh, maybe an octopus is out in the day, and it's kind of going after things, and I, I'm just taken by it. But I can't seem to stay and look at the octopus or the eel or the shark or whatever it might be. I am pedaling back to the, the beach. And I'm going to grab whoever came with me. Tom, come on out. You've got to see that. If nobody that I know is there, I grab anybody on the beach. Because once they see it, I go, oh, isn't that cool? And, and this is kind of the point he's making here. As for the saints that are in the world, they're the mighty ones, the valiant ones, the blessed ones. In whom is all of my delight when I get to share the life of Christ with them and them with me? There's something marvelous about it. There's a second half to that, and I give you warnings with this. I believe when I begin to know somebody... And uh, we, we have a group of men, and I have a number of friends. I'm blessed with a lot of friends. But that when I know them and who they are, fully being exposed, where I no longer like in first, or 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 16, it says, no longer looking or recognizing them according to the flesh any longer, but seeing them as a new creation and knowing I'm safe with them, I can become vulnerable. There is something about being vulnerable that if you can do it with somebody that is safe, it is amazing what it does to you. It's almost like a purging that, oh, I'm not carrying this alone. Just like the joys I'm not carrying, then my weaknesses I'm not carrying alone. I'm not arguing about all of the accusations the enemy shooting at me in my head that I'm sharing with my brothers and my sisters, and they're affirming to me, you're okay. My first service today was a battle. I, I got done, I sat down right afterwards. I'm glad the song came up because I, I started taking arrows and accusations right when I sat down. Oh, you're just a hypocrite. That really wasn't any good anyway. What do you, you messed up. You left out a whole bunch of the things that I showed you. And, I, and that's the arrows that were coming at me. And so I needed somebody in, in terms of, I wish my wife was here, and I wish I could have talked to her, and, and that her said, hey, you're all right. And somebody came up to me and said, I just need to tell you something. I came here to this church because of you, and somehow when you speak, my heart is moved. If it was only one, I needed it this morning. And that's as for the saints that are in the world, they are the mighty ones, the majestic ones, in whom is my delight. It gave me energy to get up here again. Because believe me, I wanted to head out. I don't know what Ben was, but he was going to have to really work at getting up here. Then it says this. You've got this right at the front. Keep that in mind. Nothing, nothing dominates or comes over. That's a priority. That God is your only good and the saints that are in the world are where your pleasure then it says, the sorrows of those that have bartered for another God shall certainly be multiplied. And what that really means is that people try to run after things. People run after things because of the desire that's placed in their heart. And because of that desire not being so instantly met, we all chase other gods. We chase things that we think will satisfy 
We have a media that will tell you all the things that will satisfy. 42 different commercials are hitting you every hour about something you're lacking. And if it's not even the commercials, something inside. You can't shut down the desire because the desire is placed there by God. It's, it's laid into your heart by God to desire what they're seeking. Listen to what uh, Dallas Willard says here. He said, desire is infinitely part because we are made by God. We're made for God, made to need God, made to run on God. We can be satisfied only by the one who is infinite, eternal, and able to supply our needs. We are only at home in God, and when we fall away from God, the desire of the infinite remains, but it is displaced by things that will certainly lead to distraction and sorrow. So what is it that we go after? And I don't think anybody here, if you go on to the next verse, it says, I will not take their drink offerings and pour out their drink offerings, nor will I, will I take their names upon my lip. I don't think anybody here is going to do what that was saying. Drink offerings were they... They were, you'd take these uh, casts and you'd put molds in them and there was something you were making and then you would uh, take the blood of something and you'd drink the blood out of the cup to say, I'm going to worship this God that I've made with my own hands. Now, I don't know if there's anybody here that's done that recently. But this is practical today because I think in many ways you and I have made our gods. We have our molds and we drink from these cups. And I'm going to list a few that, uh, just for your sake, it's not here to cause you to uh, feel condemnation because there is no condemnation in Christ, but it's here to awaken you that maybe you and I are chasing these things somehow because our desires are quite not satisfied because we've never got alone with the solitude to fulfill it. So we go after materialism in any type of way, materialism. We go after appearance, we go after uh, getting acceptance uh, from people. We go after your, your reputation of whatever it is that might give you your reputation, whether it's knowledge or whether it's money you earn or whether it's your friends and your, the people in the high places you have. It can be all kinds of things that we turn to. But here's one in today uh, I think is huge, and that is because of the hecticness of this world, because of all of that that's coming at us, we live on a border anxiety most of our life. When I first started counseling, maybe one in 40 people knew what anxiety was. Now, over 75% of the intakes, they're having anxiety. They never had like this. It's like an epidemic. I think it's because we're so anxious that we then grab and we go to another God. We barter for another God, and that God is called distraction. What is it that distracts me? You can be doing good things that distract you. You can, you can read books and, go and listen to podcasts, and you can, you can do things on the Internet, and you can look at what you could buy or whatever. Whatever it is, look at where your time is being spent. Are you looking for that because it's distracting from feeling this uncomfortableness that's coming upon you? Folks, the uncomfortableness that's sneaking up on you is sent by God. God is using it to say, listen, if you go ahead and you take anything besides me, I am that what you're looking for. And if you don't and you're looking for distractions to somehow medicate, it can be anything. I want you to just to pause on the way home and think, what is it that is, I'm using as a distraction in my life? I promise you that 
the, the, the scripture prof, prophesied is true, the sorrows will be multiplied. That's a heavy, heavy, somehow emptiness that's there. Then he goes on in and he says, I won't pour out their libations, nor am I going to take their names on my lip. That just means sometimes I'm going to shut down that which I use as a distraction, and I'm going to say no to it. You don't have that part in my life. You're not who satisfies me. You're not given for that reason. You were given for me to enjoy you out of a place of fullness, not to distract from it. Then it says, the Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. And my lot lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. That literally pleasant means it looks good on you what God has given you. There's another psalm, and I love it. It says, God says, I will choose for you your inheritance. I will choose for you what your lot line is. That's what you possess. I will choose for you your lot line in terms of the circumstances that come into your life. Because you're thinking, how come everybody seems to have it easy, and I am a mess because of all the circumstances? Somehow, people, God says, I'm going to choose for you this lot line, and it looks good on you. The best way that I can relate that to you is when I scuba dive. Uh, when I got into scuba diving, I just was so pumped about it. I said, this is really, really cool. And so I got, years and years ago, it was in the early 70s or something like that, I got certified. And then I took a long time away from diving. And so about, oh, probably five or six years ago, I decided I'm going to start diving again. So uh, we were in the Cayman Islands, and uh, we got out there, and there was this guy that I had heard about, and he only takes six people maximum. He doesn't take any more than that. And th this guy I heard was good. He was, he was great. He even had a little thing he could talk to you underwater. You had it on your ears, and you could talk underwater. I remember telling him my experience and telling what I'd been, and so he first says, well, what do you want to do? Do you want to go through, and he named this gobs of different places of what that would look like, or these are through the catacombs, but there's, flower, or there's a lot of uh, flowers that are growing out of the sides, and you'll see all the animals over here. And I just said, ho, 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 you choose. You know me, you know the water, you know the, the different things that are there, you choose. I was fully, fully ready to accept anything he chose for me because I knew he knew me and knew where I was. That's what this verse is saying is the lot lines, God, whatever you choose for me, you choose. I'm not going to look around and compare myself with other people and envy what they have because I don't know what looks good on me. You do because you made me. So how about you choose? Hold that illustration for, we're going to come back to that in a minute. Oh, we just don't have enough time. Then it goes into this part here. This is our little window. I had never seen the window probably the first 30 times I read this, but there's a window here. And it says this. I have set the Lord continually before me. And because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely, that's confidently. For thou wilt not abandon my soul, to, my soul to show, and neither will thou allow your Holy One to undergo decay. And he ends with, thou will make known to me the pathway or the, the lifestyle of life. And in your presence is fullness of joy. 
and in your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. So what's this window? Psalm 16 is a prophecy that is fulfilled and Peter tells us about the fulfillment of this prophecy in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, the story is they were waiting in the upper room. Uh, They were told by God, do not leave this room. Don't go out. Don't try to tell anybody anything. Don't try to do a thing for me until I come and the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Don't move till it happens. So they're in the upper room and the Holy Spirit comes with fire and lands upon these people and the Holy Spirit enters those that are Christ and inside them there's a fire burning inside them. They all begin to speak in tongues and that word there was everybody listening started hearing this message in their own language. One person would be speaking and this guy would understand here. Somebody over here in Spanish would be understanding and it was unbelievable and people were awed and the religious people said, they must be drunk. And remember Peter, after that Peter had said he stood up And he walked over and he said, men, these men are not drunk as you suppose. It's three o'clock in the afternoon. They have not been drinking. And he said, this is the fulfillment of basically Psalm 16. And he repeats all that I just read you. He said, this is a, a, a prophet David that didn't know but was proclaiming a prophecy of this day and this hour and this hour it is fulfilled. And he says, We know that David has a grave and he died and we can go over and I can show you his tomb. So when he said that that my soul will not enter decay, he was speaking about the living Christ that was to come. And the living Christ was speaking about this when he left. He said, you ought to rejoice because when I leave, I will send forth my spirit. He will now come and be inside each of you. And you will be able to live the fulfillment of the Christian life because now it will no longer be you but me living in you. And Paul said, that's what was fulfilled. People, today you fulfilled Psalm 16. The living God now can live inside you. And the famous verse, Galatians 2, 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, but not I that live any longer, but the life of the Lord Jesus Christ that lives in me. And so my faith is in the hope that he gave himself up for me and loved me, is that now all of a sudden the fulfillment of this whole Psalm 16, the whole fulfillment of the whole old canon and testament has been fulfilled today. And 3,000 came to faith, and it said when they came to faith and the Holy Spirit filled them, They knew they were filled with the living God. Do you guys know every cell in your body is woven together with Christ if you've come to faith? Everything in you is woven with you. He doesn't ever identify himself anymore without your name being mentioned. If he tells who he is, he says, I am Jesus Christ and Hannah is one of my daughters. He he mentions your name every time because you are now united with him. I don't know if this does to you what it did to me. When I read that years ago and I realized I have not lived the Christian life in that full awareness of that. I have attempted to live it for God, independent of God, trying to do what I could for him. And I basically became bankrupt. And this is what this rest of this is saying, is that 
Because of who he is, in his presence, there is a fullness of joy that overflows. It's the fullness of the union of God inside you that was fulfilled that now can fulfill all of these things. How do you go ahead and accept the lot line that's been given to you? Well, listen to this. This is what happened when they got it, because they got it. They knew this is not just a little thing. This is the, the God of the universe that had laid out the expanse of the whole world is living inside me. It said, and when they understood this, then they believed, they all had all things in common, and they began selling their property and their possessions, and they were sharing them with one another. Why? Because they knew they would be okay. They didn't care about those things that they were chasing. They could throw all things into common. This is what is the fulfillment of the first verse, is I have chosen your lot lines. You get this? It's an incredible, incredible truth. So I, I pray at least that you would begin to understand that you were designed by God to be the fulfillment of many of the Old Testament prophecies by allowing the living Christ to inhabit your very body and the relationship that God desired with you is what he wanted. Hosea 6.6 6 says, I'm not interested in your sacrifices and all that you do for me. I want you to know me. I'm not interested in your service. I want you to love me. Will you then let me love you, he says at the end of that. And that's why he goes on to the last verse, which says, and then you'll make known to me the path of life because in your presence there's a fullness of joy. And in your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Now I want to end with something that I believe is a practical application for you. He says, I will make known to you the path of life. I believe that if there's any application you can take away from here, this will be one I challenge you to do. We live in a noisy world. We live in a busy world. I don't believe that anything that I say up here is going to cause you to throw your phone away. I think that sooner or later you'll turn on to see who you missed in the, in the half hour we are here, or hour. I don't think I'm going to stop you from pursuing the things that you do when you, when you've, before you came and you leave here. But I'm going to challenge you to do this. In each of these psalms, that I read to you, every one of those psalms has this comment. In silence I found him. In silence he made himself known to me. And so here's what I would encourage you. If you want to see where it says, I will lead you in the path of life, that is not doing all the things that Jesus would do. You know, the JD, what would Jesus do? It's following his lifestyle. His lifestyle was, is easy to follow in terms of two different things that I would ask you to look at. Number one, he says, I do only what the Father just told me to do, and I say only what the Father told me to say. He had a conscious awareness of the Father in him all the time. That was one. Not all the things he did, not all the things that, that you are not to do. The second thing was this. If you'll follow the Gospels and look at Jesus' life, you will see this. He got away in silence and solitude often. He stopped the noise for a while. I challenge you to do this starting today is find a time where you shut everything down. There's no noise outside or inside in the head or all that. Shut it down and get quiet and get still and wait on him.
This was the lifestyle of Jesus Christ. That's why he would go out and say, I, just, I only say what Jesus or God said. How did he know it? Because he was silent before that. Let me read a quote as we end here from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis wrote in the screw tape letters, he said he had demons that were railing against silence of any kind. And he said that that is the danger to their cause, the demon's cause. It's the ruin of the Christian soul. Senior demon screw tape calls the devil's realm a kingdom of noise and busyness. And he claims that we will make the whole universe a noise in the end and they'll never find God. Let's pray. Father, I know the, the, all the things that are out here and I know as I looked at your life, you were busy. You never just stopped from listening to your father. And then you would go get alone. And I pray today that these words would somehow penetrate somebody's life out here. And that somehow we would say, you know what, I am, I am going to go ahead and step out. And I'm going to find time for me to have all kinds of silence. Whether it be a day a week or a half a day. Whether it be an hour a day or that I would turn everything off. And I'd walk through that uncomfortableness of being quiet with you until you break through and reveal yourself to me. Because I so want to be the, the carrier and the reflector of your life and your love to the saints during the world. And I ask you this, Father, in Jesus' name.